Georgie? The blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. Come with me if you want to live. Hello and welcome to Direct to Nowhere, the section of the Road to Nowhere podcast in which I invite a guest on to discuss one of their favourite directors and three of the favourite movies from that director. Today I'm delighted to be joined by a writer for Moving Pictures Film Club, Ghouls Magazine, has bylines in Fangoria and is the host of What a Scream podcast, Egraine Hackett Cantabrana. Hello Egraine, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, thanks very much for joining us. Um, we'll get on to your director a wee bit later. We'll have a wee chat. Um, what, uh, basically, your podcast, What a Scream. I've been on it a couple of times and it's always mm-hmm. been great fun. Um, but what kind of made you want to start that? What was the kind of in- in- inspiration behind it, if that's the right word? Um, well, it was during the the pandemic, obviously. I'm sure this is a very familiar story for a lot of people. Um, and I needed something, you know, I'd gone from being a performer and obviously when that all shut down, I just needed something to do, basically, that wasn't centered around my child, uh, which sounds really horrible, but it's not <laughs> like... I swear, like, your life doesn't need to revolve around your child when you're a parent. You need something else. And um, I've always been a... a absolute fanatic on horror and you know I try talk to my husband about it but he's just not that big into horror and I just needed someone to talk to basically that wasn't a three-year-old so um I started this podcast talking about horror films and I really wanted to talk to like-minded people that came from different backgrounds different professions different cultures and just talk about horror films. Um, and so that's where What a Scream came from. Mm. A very similar boat to me, like my wife, especially horror. She yeah. fucking hates it. Like <laughs> She's really not a horror fan. Um, and one time when It Chapter One came out, I made her watch it by telling her it was kind of like Stand By Me, but a wee yeah. bit scarier, which it kind <laughs> of is. But she didn't, she, and she kind of enjoyed it. And then... Um, I was trying to go and see it chapter two and none of my mates wanted to go and mm. see it with me. And when I went to see the first chapters in the cinema, I went with my mum and dad, but they were on holiday. I says, I can't wait like three weeks or in fact, no, mum and dad were away for about a month. I says, I can't wait yeah. a month to go and see it chapter two. And she just went, oh, fuck it. I'll come with you. Yeah. And we sat down in the cinema and I said, by the way, this is three hours long. She went, it's fucking what? <laughs> <laughs> and the tension, like the, the just her hands, their nails just drilled into the, the handrests <laughs> the whole time. And it's kind of somewhat the way, why the reason I started this up as well. Yeah. Like, uh, just someone to talk about the movies I like with. Yeah. Um, so, going to come on to your director as I've said already uh, but the first thing I want to ask you is is there a moment in cinema or uh, in movies or or in a cinema maybe to put it a wee bit better um, from a young age that kind of sticks out to you that you remember quite fondly like an earliest cinema moment or anything like that um, my earliest cinema moment would be 
going to the cinema at like four or five and seeing something like Beethoven or Free Willy. It was always like animal films and I'd always be devastated afterwards like because they always have the typical like is the animal dead or is it alive and I'd always be absolute devastated at the prospect of this poor animal dying um I didn't give a crap about the humans even at four years old but um that would be like my earliest kind of memories of going to the cinema and seeing Jurassic Park as well I remember seeing Jurassic Park when I was really young when it came out in the cinema Mm-hmm. And the person in the box office said to my dad, are you sure? Like, you know, it's, 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 it might be a little bit scary. My dad was like, she's grand, she's fine. Um, and I just remember being absolutely blown away by mm-hmm. Jurassic Park. And like my love of dinosaurs started from then and from then because I hyper focus and hyper fixate on things. I was obsessed with dinosaurs for years because of Jurassic Park. Maybe not similar. Um, experience with Jurassic Park but my mum and dad told me I couldn't go and see it because I was too young so I would have been 93 that would have been out 93 yeah so I was was six oh I was four my dad I was four my dad was like she's fine she's fine (laughs) (laughs) my mum and dad said no we're not going to see that and I'd seen the trailers so Mm. I seen dinosaurs and I had these sticker books and things like that and they wouldn't take me and then they came back and I remember the stegosaurus in it yeah. Is Dilophosaurus in it? Is Diplodocus in it? Tell me <laughs> details. I want a spoiler special from my mum and dad. Yeah. <laughs> my dad my dad was like, uh, yeah, she's fine, she's fine. Does a dinosaur die in it? And the woman was like, I don't think so. And he's like, yeah, she'll be fine, she'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> People are okay, but not dinosaurs. Has the dinosaur infatuation kept up at all? A bit less with a a bit, <laughs> a bit less, but like if you asked me anything about dinosaurs, I'd probably be able to tell you. Like it that kind of information just sticks in my brain. Um no. so I'm not as obsessed as I was, but I'd probably still be able to ace a quiz, just saying. Yeah. <laughs> probably lessened with each part of the part of the Jurassic franchise. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> as soon as Chris Pratt came in, I was like, I'm out, I'm out. <laughs> no, no, it's fair enough. He's a good Star Lord, but he's not a good dinosaur wrangler. Yeah. And he's a dick. <laughs> <laughs> he's literally a dick. <laughs> yeah. Um so is there a moment in in a movie or in movies that you can rewatch it doesn't even need to be a full movie, and I, 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 I sometimes um, word this incorrectly. Like just a scene that you could go back and rewatch. Like for me personally, and sometimes it's a beer and just rewatch. But I will always go back and watch the the bit in the portal scene in Endgame. Okay. In Avengers Endgame, where Cap's walking and he think you think he's fucked, and because I remember watching it at the cinema and then the portals open and T'Challa comes through and yeah. things like that. Is there a moment like that for you that you have? Um, I do. It's um, it's from my favorite horror film, uh, my favorite film hands down, which is The Exorcist, and it is now it's actually on the uh, director's cut of The Exorcist. It is okay. when Reagan comes down the stairs and does the backwards spider walk. <sighs> yeah. That is my favourite scene, hands down, from any film. That is, yeah. So I did not see The Exorcist fully until lockdown. Oh, wow. Okay. Quite a quite a late convert to it, and it still really affected me. Like, it's, yeah. you always hear that, you know, these older movies aren't going to have the same impact, but I think um, the first time I watched The Exorcist, I thought it was fantastic. Like, yeah. I was really worried that I would not like it because of the hype. Mm-hmm. But what a movie. Like, even, I wasn't, um, expecting the bit at the start with Max von Sydow, I think he's, he's in Iraq at the start of it. Yes, he and is at an archaeological dig. 
Yeah. And they find the little statue of uh, Pazuzu. Aye. Like I watched the one, two and three and two was obviously awful. Um, and three was great as yeah. well. Yeah. And yeah, it was, I, was, I was really surprised how much I shit myself, <laughs> to be honest, <laughs> even though it's a movie that's yeah. nearly nearly 50 years old, Exorcist, mm. and it was just it's still incredible. Yeah. Like you can get movies that transcend decades, but maybe like things like Poltergeist and all that, I don't, I'm not a massive fan of, but mm. I think they're dated a wee bit, but The Exorcist just is timeless, yeah. I think. Yeah, I think it just had so much going for it. Like, it had mm. um, uh, William Blatty and um, uh, William Friedkin, obviously, yeah. is a great director. He's a bit mental, but sure look like, weren't they all in that day? Um, uh, William Peter Blatty, A, wrote the novel, B wrote the screenplay. So of course it's going to be just because the novel's absolutely terrifying as well. So if you've got the same writer, it's going to translate really well. And then you've obviously got the special effects team as well, who were incredible. Yeah. Um, and then all their actors. So it just it had so much going for it. And I think that's why it's lived up so well. Mm. It kind of comes back to a wee bit as well. I mean, um, when I was on your podcast mm. talking about uh, religious iconography yeah. and horror, and it has the Catholic Church a wee bit different from what we discussed. Yeah. Um, where they are the heroes, but the Catholic Church at the time are massively against it, mm. which is really strange. Like, I think the Catholic Church are reactionary. They don't um, look at the actual content. They'll see there's a movie yeah. about a devil and just go, that must be bad. Yeah. But that was actually seen as being the priests were the heroes in it. Which is, as I said, a wee bit different from when me and you spoke about the, the movies. Yeah, I mean, the priests, I know like a lot of people think that it is pro, pro-Catholic, mm. but the way I've kind of interpreted it, coming from a super Catholic background in Ireland, um, yeah. I've kind of interpreted, like there's a lot of things in there that are very anti-Catholic, like it shows a divorced mother, a divorced single mother, a divorce was... Uh, illegal in Ireland up until like the 80s um it showed you know a, a priest committing suicide which is obviously against catholic teachings so there's yeah. a lot and, and it shows a masturbation scene as you know terrible as that scene actually is it does show masturbation which is very frowned upon in the catholic church mm. so I found it quite I mean this makes me sound so twisted I was rooting for Pazuzu <laughs> <laughs> it was also masturbation with a cross. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> like, that kind of uh, takes it to that next level. Um, yeah, I, I suppose. Yeah, if, if, in fact, you've read it a lot better than I have. Actually, I've always seen it as being one of the only kind of pro-Catholic, maybe not pro-Catholic, but certainly yeah. pro-religion styles yeah. of movies. But but that's the thing, and then I don't want to get into it because, as I said, we've we got into it before in the episode discussing the um, ends of days mm. and the exorcism of Emily Rose. Mm. It's it's a difficult thing to go on. I'll cut it off there, and we'll go on to the the main the main part. <laughs> we could literally talk yeah. about it for another. That the enemy have no power over. Um, so for your director, you chose James Whale. I did. The classic Hollywood director. Yes. Um, what I want to ask you is, what is your relationship, not necessarily just with James Whale, but with classic cinema in general? Um, classic cinema would be 
for me very much a comfort thing because a lot of the I mean it's mainly universal that I'm talking about here because that's what I would be into a lot of that comes from the gothic literature which is what I would have been into prior to horror films and Mm -hmm. so stuff like Dracula um, and Frankenstein meant a lot to me still do mean a lot to me Mm -hmm. so when they are put onto screen the way they were in the 30s they were still very gothic and very I mean they didn't exactly follow the text which is fine but they they still kept a lot of the heart of the text um and plus they looked amazing like the 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 makeup effects and even though you know we don't associate it with great technological advances they had to use practical effects to get across these monsters and you know any sort of stuff that would be done by computers nowadays, probably. Yeah. They had to find a practical way of doing it. And it's just, it's this magic and this feeling of theatre and performance is still very much in those classical monster movies um, because they didn't have to rely on technology, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Mm. And it's just so glamorous as well. Like, I really love, like, that vintage glamour. And they're just films that are perfect for like a stormy, rainy night. You turn the lights off, you get your glass of wine or hot drink or whatever, and you just sit down and watch these films that are perfect for thundery, dark, atmospheric nights. And I just, I love that. I love that. It's definitely, so these are the the three movies we're going to come on to. The first time I've watched this style of movie, like Mm. these old, older Hollywood uh, horror. Yeah. And I think it was a bit of prejudice before. Like mm-hmm. there's a there's an idea that they're hammy, yeah, to an extent. And there's a little bit of ham in them. That's mm. fine. It's it's a, a different style of acting from nearly a hundred years ago. Um, but I absolutely loved all three of these. Yeah, that we're going to come on to like brilliant. Like uh, the thing that stood out to me the most um, was the massive sets. Yeah, these are huge built sets. Which nowadays it's done cheaper to just fix everything on yeah. green screen. But um, it's all gothic sets. It's um, full blown like houses have been built, hallways. Like um, I don't know what you would call the like a a, a living room that yeah. is, but it's just grand and everything yeah. about the whole style of it is fantastic. Yeah, I mean at this time, so the early nineteen thirties, um when talking films started to come into production obviously the silent films started going out of fashion production companies wanted theater directors to come in and direct these films because they were already experienced with sound and with dialogue um Mm -hmm. so they got a lot of theater in and i think that really plays into the influences of these grand sets that we see in these kind of movies especially like with the three we're going to talk about um Mm -hmm. And that that is where James Whale came from. He came from a theatre background and he Good. was introduced to Universal because he was a theatre director and a theatre actor and a theatre stage producer. He did everything in the theatre. He designed the sets, did absolutely everything. So that's why you do get this like theatrical feel for it. The only thing, obviously, again, coming from it, kept from a kind of layman perspective, mm-hmm. um, I've got a feel for watching the Disney Plus production or not the Disney Plus production but the the um video version of Hamilton mm-hmm. that was on Disney Plus that came yeah. on during during lockdown and again obviously 
Hamilton isn't <laughs> these movies haven't been influenced yeah. by Hamilton. But that was the the way I kind of looked at it. It wasn't yeah. as grand. Hamilton wasn't as grand as yeah. these three movies, but it was very similar. Like the, it's the one camera angle, really, yeah. apart from certain shots mm-hmm. that are taken and and kind of not action shots, but um, kind of um, a plot development shots. Yeah. And but majority of it is taken, yeah, very much from a, an audience view. Yeah. From a stage play, and it's fantastic. Like it. it, it, it I was genuinely astounded by how much I enjoyed these, yeah. and I was, I was very happy about it as yeah. well. They were so good. So we will start with um, the first one. I want to start with is mm-hmm. the kind of a single movie on its own, if yep. you will, and it's 1931's Old Dark House. Yep. us a brief sort of explanation of this of course so it is a what they call a pre-code film um it's kind of thought as a comedy horror film directed by james whale it is based on a novel uh called benighted uh well i say based loosely based let's say and it kind of revolves around um these five travellers are in the arse end of nowhere in Wales and there is such a bad storm going out that they have to find shelter in the nearest house, which is this old, massive country house um, owned by the Femme family. And the Femme family are a bit are a bit odd, a bit out there. You've got um, the sister who owns the house and she's half deaf and she's she's just mad basically Rebecca and then we've got um Horace Femme who's the brother played by Ernest Thysiger and he is this very quite camp uh aristocratic but he's very bitter he's he's basically a bitter old queen and it's it's amazing. Um, <laughs> and then we have uh, the famous Boris Karloff as their hand servant, Morgan. And mm. as the film goes on, strange things start to happen. And the travelers learn that 
their the brother and sister they have another brother called soul who is the problem child and that their dad is upstairs and he's an invalid it's just it's so funny it's like it's just such a camp comedy horror mm. but it, it really sets up the the backbone towards a lot of these kind of old decaying gothic house horrors mm. and even you go as far as you could almost see this is where Rocky Horror Picture Show got it from. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> it was, I'm glad you've said about the comedy side of it. Mm. So before I go on, usually what we do for uh, Direct and Away is I pick out three scenes roughly from a movie and I use that as kind of jumping off points. Mm-hmm. I think because the three of the movies we're going to discuss tonight are 70 minutes at if most. Either, some of yeah. Them. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think the best thing to do is just kind of talk generally about them, mm. and it, it, because there's so there's a lot to cover, but also you can kind of like skip over bits and yeah. just have a good general chat about the three movies. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you you said the thing about the comedy because I was worried that maybe I was misreading the movie. Yeah, like not being um, kind of clued up on that kind of classic Hollywood horror the universal horror of that era yeah i was worried that i was maybe taking it too lately but it is really funny like miss femme is it uh, what, what what was her her first name again um it is rebecca Eva Moore. rebecca, rebecca femme. femme yeah she is hilarious and <laughs> it's so right funny. from the off yeah like there's a scene in the um one of the, the kind of protagonists is getting changed in every shot. But this was also one of the things I wanted to talk about, how well this was shot. Yes. And she is saying, you're wicked. Yeah. <laughs> you're all wicked. <laughs> and it is so, like, well acted. Yeah. Um, hilariously acted. Like, she, she knows what she's doing there. Right? Eva Moore is her yeah. name. She knows how to play this absolutely on point in yeah. terms of comedy. And... and the director, James Whale, but I don't know about um, some cinematographers. I'm not taking any kind of notes on that, but he gets these shots of every different mirror yeah. in that room, and it's absolutely superb. I think Rebecca serves as the narrator of the piece um, yeah. and kind of she sets up this family dynamic they have going on in the house. You know, as she says, she's so funny. She's so deadpan. I mean, these poor strangers come in, they're drenched from the storm, and she's like, no beds. I'll give them no beds. <laughs> and <laughs> she's just like, she, as you said, she takes up this young one up to the bedroom to help her get changed, and she's like, you're a wicked, you're a wicked way in. And it's just, even though this poor woman is, you know, she's married and she's got a husband, and she's like, you're only doing these bodily things for your husband, you're wicked. It's just... <laughs> It's so funny. So then from that scene, we understand that this family are quite um, suppressed um, sexually, I guess, and emotionally. And so it sets it up as, okay, now you know why they are like this. Um, So, yeah, she serves as a great narration piece. Yeah. And it it comes to Horace as well, and he's very uh, prim and proper Mm. as well, and he feels like there's a... Um, and he he's the one that kind of hints at what is upstairs yeah. and never never really gives everything away, but yes. he, he kind of subtly hints to it. Horace really reminded me of, have you seen Scary Movie 2? Yes. The strong hand yeah. man. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But, but again, because he's played 
as comedic now. Yeah. Seeing it from that point of view, you can see the scary movie and that would have had that influence. Yes. This movie would have had the influence on scary movie. Like yeah. it wouldn't have just been Rocky Horror, yeah. and it wouldn't have just been. And I can't remember the the character who's quite similar to him in Rocky Horror. I, I'm not. Oh, huge, it's um. Uh, oh, the handyman, riffraff. Riffraff. Yeah. Yep. Aye. And there's there's so much influence throughout mm. this. It's it plays like a haunted house movie. Yes, it does. Yeah. Up until the last kind of. 10, 15 yeah. minutes. It plays like a comedy. It plays like a an almost paranoid delve into all the, the protagonists yeah. throughout the movie. They're all worrying about each other. Yeah. But it turns out it's kind of none of them. I mean, yeah. Horace is a complete shit stirrer. Um, <laughs> he's, you know, if Rebecca's the narrator, Horace is the one that furthers on, you know, the, the story and the development of this film because he's just such an old queen and he <laughs> you know he's the one telling them to go upstairs and to oh. go into this room and he's just i mean Ernest Weisiger is a fantastic actor he's um he was rumored to be bisexual James Whale was an out gay director and um with the Hayes code a lot of the time they had to kind of very, be very careful how they portrayed certain things. And with the old dark house, you can kind of see he's like, there's a lot of queer subtext. And I think this really comes through with Horace because he seems mm-hmm. quite bitter that he's been in this suppressed family. And, mm-hmm. you know, you've got to kind of wonder why he was never allowed to kind of be himself or whatever. Um, but yeah, he's, he's a great character. Like Riff Raff, he's a little shitster. Yeah, yeah. He's walking up the stairs, and he'll say something like, "Oh, the the lamp is far too heavy for me to carry." And he says, "Will you go up yourself?" And he yeah. says, "Oh, you'll be okay. It's not that heavy." Yeah. And he goes, "Oh shit!" <laughs> <laughs> you can see it in his face. Yeah. He goes, "Oh no, um, no, it's quite heavy for me because I am weak and frail, and I don't." And then, and then at the point where um, there's a, a kind of. Um, Another brother yeah. who's locked in the in the attic called Saul. Yeah. And he just sticks his head out and goes, Saul has escaped. You need to kill him. And then he fucks off back down the stairs. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. And the guy just takes it as red and goes, fuck it, I might as well kill him then. <laughs> like, um, yeah. Yeah, he's, uh, as, as, as you're saying, the ultimate in shit stunning. Yeah, he is. He's brilliant. Um <laughs> I said it kind of plays like a haunted house. You've got it's a really strange scene in it, and it is with Sir Roderick. Mm-hmm. I thought that was very strange. I know it's played by Elspeth Dudgeon, I think, if I'm pronouncing her name right. I thought it was actually uh, Eva Moore at the time, just from the speech and the way she spoke. Yes, yeah. It's just a that's quite a. I think especially in the thirties, that's quite a. Um, forward thinking role to have uh, maybe I'm being narrow minded but it's like 1930 cinema I wouldn't imagine that they would have been that they would have been happy about having females portraying males so moving on to the, the next movie it's Frankenstein the classic um, well, these are all classics I suppose
When this dead hand moves, the monster created by a man they called Mad is turned loose to strike terror into the hearts of men. To shock women into uncontrolled hysteria. Elizabeth! To prey upon the innocence of children. This is the story you've heard about, talked about. The spine-tingling, blood-chilling story that stuns your emotions. Frankenstein! Don't touch that! First time watch for me. What is your kind of feelings towards this in general? Like the you know, Frankenstein, the monster has obviously became iconic. And what is your thoughts on this generally? Um, well, Frankenstein is a one of my favourite works of literature by Mary Shelley, okay. um, and the Frankenstein movie from nineteen thirty one is one of my favourite fi- horror films, possibly favourite films. Um, it's just, I don't know what it is for me. It's such a comfort watch and it's such like, it really speaks to me as a piece. And I really love what Frankenstein's monster has come on to represent. And he has become this huge pop culture icon as well as Dracula. And I just think that's amazing seeing as it was like this teenage girl writing it to try and outbest her male counterparts, um, I just like I love it so much. Like I even have like a little Frankenstein's monster tattoo. Oh, like so, yeah. It just it's it's one of those comfort watches that I always watch every Halloween when it's like stormy and wintry outside, and it's just I love it. I'm obsessed. Mm. I really enjoyed this. Yeah. Um, again, mm. I think I said I mentioned before that I was a wee bit not negative, but um, ignorant towards classic Hollywood cinema, mm. just because you said that you get the. Um, belief that the acting's maybe not as good or anything yeah. like that, but this is fantastic. You know, you've got um, I keep going to say Bill, I go say every time <laughs> Boris Karloff. <laughs> I was doing it the other day, I was speaking to my dad as well about these. Um, Boris Karloff and probably his most kind of renowned role playing mm. the monster. Um, one thing I was quite surprised about was the, the doctor's called Henry Frankenstein. I always thought it was Victor. Is that a change? It is on? so in the in the book <laughs> it is Victor Frankenstein yeah. and Henry is his best friend. Uh-huh. Um but in the the film they've got the doctor as Henry Frankenstein and his best friend as Victor. Um right, okay. I don't know why they decided to change that, whether it was due to copyright or perhaps Mary Shelley's estate. I don't know for sure, mm. but they took a, a creative, um, what do you call it? Creative license. That's it. Yeah. yeah creative license. Yeah. <laughs> it just stood out to me straight away. I was going, I'm mm. sure he was Victor, but yeah, that was the first time noticing that. And then also it was, uh, the assistant was Fritz and I always assumed it was yeah. Igor. Is that the same? Was Igor yes. in the books as well? Um, yes, I think Igor is in the books, um, but he's, he's not like a massive character. Mm. Um, and 
it's just, yeah, I mean, they called him Fritz, I guess. Give him a good German name, I guess. Like <laughs> Goes well with the doctor. Um, yeah. <laughs> so the kind of the most iconic scene, I think, um, from this is once they've went through the procedure of trying to bring the monster back to life. Uh, the whole it's alive scene and it's it's been parodied and it's been copied and it's been remade but this one certainly feels to have more of an impact than I mean for example an awful film but the Van Helsing of um, mm. 2002 or maybe a wee bit later yeah. actually the, the uh, Hugh Jackman one um, mm. it's I think it's again comes down to something we mentioned before about the huge sets and the lighting, yeah. the lighting of it, and it's got that um, gothic feel to it while it's all happening. It's fantastic, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, the laboratory alone is such a work of art. Um, so there was a guy, a guy called Strick Fadden, mm-hmm. and he invented and constructed um, a massive Tesla coil that he called the the Megavolt Senior. Mm-hmm. And this was what gave off like the bolt, like lightning and all that kind of stuff. So they actually brought in someone who, you know, was a scientist and electrical engineer and built these things. And it wasn't just like, oh, we'll make something out of foam and foil and, you know, (laughs) put some lights behind it. It was actually like working real. So that's, that's what adds to the theatricality of it. Yeah, definitely. It's the, the, like a working set, uh, as you're saying, Mm. it's a fully blown, there's no, obviously at the time there was no CGI, but there's no kind of trickery done. It's full on, full lighting. Um, The first moment of seeing the monster is again, another kind of well-known iconic part. How do you feel the Frankenstein monster holds up nowadays in terms of the look? Obviously, you said you get the tattoo and you're a massive fan of it. Yeah. But with the um, the kind of prosthetic and everything, that's, personally, I think it still looks great. It still has that impact of shock when you first see it. Yeah, I mean, I when I first saw it, like, back, I don't know, when I was a teenager or whatever, I definitely expected to be like, oh, this is going to look real hokey now. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's going to be like, oh, we've come such a long way and like practical effects. But it's still held up amazingly. And like the makeup of Frankenstein's monster is still flawless. Mm-hmm. And it still looks as though something that would still be done today. Um, and it just, it still has that effect that like, it makes you gasp and you just think, oh my God, like just this weird, uncanny creature made of bits of corpses and, you know, that have been dug from graves or taken down from a hangman's noose. It's just, it's really believable still. Hmm. Um, and I just love it. I love how iconic it's become. Um, and I love that it still holds up. Like it's still, like you can guarantee that if this played in a nightclub, you know, sometimes like they play films in a nightclub, yeah. you're still going to have people glued to the screens watching Frankenstein's monsters reveal. Mm, definitely. I think it says a lot as well. Again, talking about that actual working set, actual light hitting something instead mm. of a lot of the, the kind of the Marvel movies, especially recently, have come in for criticism because the CGI looks really bad, yeah. to be honest. Um, <clears throat> and that's just about overworked um, staff, but having actual light hitting things, having people mm. who have been creating the monster and working on the prosthetics and because they know they have to have a physical thing in front of them, the 
the kind of the intricacies and the the small details are so fine and so mm-hmm. detailed for want a better word yeah and it's it's because you know there's no post editing mm-hmm. you know in com- the way we do now oh don't worry we can edit that out or we can you know add that in in after effects or whatever <clears throat> they didn't have that back then so everything had to be perfect like absolutely perfect mm-hmm. um and it is i mean they got like experts in to do these kind of things i mean james whale himself was an expert in theater and theatricality and so he was also an expert in lighting and directing and you know uh movement and dialogue so like all of these things just add up to have this like super perfect like scenes um that are just flawless yeah yeah exactly um it was yeah it was it still it feels like a, a significant moment to watch, especially again, first mm. time watching for me. It was it was fantastic. We get to the point where the monsters kinda not in, not in the public domain, but certainly known a um kind of select few kills Fritz and mm. because he's getting abused by Fritz basically, um, kind of physical abuse from mm. him. Breaks out. He accidentally drowns a young girl and it's the whole this is the whole aspect of the Frankenstein monster becoming the tragic character, like the mm. the misunderstood and like doesn't have social social abilities in terms of how to interact with people, how to mm. play with the young girl who wants to play with him, and it leads to him getting hunted and um, and eventually what you think is killed. The I was surprised at how many deaths there were in this movie, just because. Again, I'd heard about the tragedy of the character of uh, the monster, so I thought it would maybe be there's one death and then he starts getting hunted. Like, I never mm. expected something as, not a particularly graphic death, but certainly as shocking as the death of the young girl, which made me kind of taken aback as to how the narrative of Frankenstein, uh, I keep saying Frankenstein, how the narrative of the monster is now. Like That to me was, it, see, it made the townspeople's reaction a bit more understandable from what I thought mm. they had reacted to, if you get what I mean. Frankenstein was pre-code, pre-Hays Code, which means that even though the Hays Code came in at about 1929, 1930, it wasn't enforced till about 1932. So even though that was the case and that was it was a pre-code film, the censors were still taken aback by how many deaths were in it and they really wanted to censor it. Okay. But James Whale was pretty, he was like, no, it's got to be in for the story. Otherwise, mm. it just makes no sense. Um, so he managed to, to keep the deaths in, but it's it's very much, I mean, Fritz deserved it because, you know, when you, when you kind of antagonize a wild animal, which what the monster basically is, you're, mm. you're going to get hurt. Um, I think the whole death of the little girl, it's very much symbolic of the death of innocence, which is the monster's innocence. You know, the monster is a child, basically. Yeah. It's been born, it wasn't asked to be born, and its parent rejected him straight away, so he's out on his own, and he's very innocent. All he wants to do is play with the little girl. Mm-hmm. So that death of the little girl really signifies the, the monster's death of innocence and how society is now going to create this monster um which is a theme we see in a lot of things um a lot of horror a lot of movies in general is that sometimes the monster isn't actually a monster of its own doing it's actually what society has done and society is sometimes the victor frankenstein or the henry frankenstein in this case um Mm. and so yeah it's really it's a really poignant 
point and it kind of drives the whole story forward of how you know the story is going to come about and how the monster is going to develop into this monstrous character you're saying about the monster being childlike or being a child his reaction is quite childlike he knows he's mm. done wrong or doesn't understand fully yeah. but he just knows what he's done is wrong so yeah. it, it runs away i did think it was quite a jump that the townspeople just went that must have been frankenstein yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> they just went, there's a girl that's dead in the lake and they kind of just went straight for frankenstein but yeah. i suppose <laughs> I'm, not gonna, I'm not picking out plot holes or anything yeah. <laughs> um and it kind of it leads to the big crescendo at the end mm. the, the the death of the monster the the burning of the the lab and the not the lab sorry the um windmill it's a windmill yeah. isn't it that yeah, he's in, it is, in the yeah. end um he does fight off a good few people he throws mm. someone off the top brilliantly who lands on one of the <laughs> the, um, the windmill parts mm. i don't know what you call that um and it yeah it, it it's again really powerful they've I think it, it it translates well as well when you see things like um, kind of more up to date, like young people on death row. Mm-hmm. I think it correlates a wee bit with maybe maybe I'm wrong on that, but the way they've the judge, jury, and executioner, and obviously the the the, the states are, have their own um, judicial system, but mm-hmm. the way that they can just accept that they obviously the townspeople are seeing the monster as a monster they don't see mm. the psychology and they don't see the personality of the monster they're just seeing it and it's physical kind of being but it was really interesting that the way lynch mobs are still so prevalent and would still react in the exact same way i feel mm. nowadays if there was something along those lines if, if something like this was to happen in the real world yeah i mean it kind of correlates to perhaps online mm. um you know keyboard kind of uh juries nowadays that um someone just has to say something online and all of a sudden there's, you know, a complete mob out for them. Um, whether there's any real, uh, evidence or not, um, you know, one person could do one tiny thing. Like I'm not talking about the people that deserve it because, you know, there are definitely people that deserve it, but there's some things that you're just like, like, (sighs) just, just back away from the keyboard, you know, don't be, don't believe everything you see on Facebook. Um, you know, (laughs) like calm down. Um, and it's very much the same here. Like it's, you know, they, they really jump to this thing that, you know, the monster is a monster and should be killed and blah, blah, blah. When really he's not the villain of the piece. It's, it's Henry Frankenstein. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he, obviously he gets, Injured at the end, but I think mm. do we think he's dead at the end of part of the Frankenstein movie? Yes. So at the end, they think that the monster is dead. Do they, do no? Do we think Frankenstein's dead as well? No, no, he, no, no. He he goes on to be with his fiance, and he gets a mm. a seemingly happy ever after. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I remember if he's getting that mixed mm. up a wee bit because his dad comes out his room, doesn't he? And he's yeah. Getting the gives them the, the mm. shit wine so he can drink the good wine himself. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's it's very interesting how Henry got off with no, mm-hmm. you know, with no. It was poor Henry at the end of it, um, yeah. and not poor child, basically. Funny <laughs> yeah. um, what you're saying about like kind of internet things. I think one of the worst examples of that was the whole Snyder movement, wasn't it? On Twitter, if one person mentioned the Snyder cut or whatever mm. you want to call it. And 
a tweet. People were obviously searching for it and looking for that thing to be annoyed by. Mm. And then there was the huge pile on, like, I'd done it once myself. Yeah. And I just had to mute and block things. And I, I, I'm a fan of Justice League movies, DC movies, but that didn't matter because yeah. you'd said something about that. That was yeah. a bang pile on, and you couldn't get away from it unless you just yeah. blocked and deleted yeah. it. <laughs> um, so, obviously, Karloff is the, the original and probably the probably the best uh, depiction of the monster do you have mm-hmm. any others that you're quite a fan of like i quite like the for me like a, a good different style of monster was rory kinnear and mm. the penny dreadful series i quite enjoyed his kind of take on it yeah um and the, the the version of frankenstein and that was a bit different as well do you have any other kind of favorites um no, <laughs> I, no, I am. I'm very much with uh, the the Penny Dreadful one with Rora Kinnear as Frankenstein's monster and um, Harry Treadaway as Victor Frankenstein. Um, I thought they were amazing. Like it showed Victor as this real tragic kind of um, uh, tragic character, which he basically mm-hmm. is. He's very tragic, um, mm-hmm. and it, it had him with like empathy. That even though so in you know like the Universal Frankenstein, I found um, the Doctor to be quite monstrous himself, mm-hmm. whereas Penny Dreadful was very sympathetic towards him, but also sympathetic towards his creature as well, and it really gave him this human like humane like character because he looked human, like he mm-hmm. looked like he'd actually been composed of corpses, not just yeah. like this green bumbling, you know, mm-hmm. um, and it was just. I mean, apart from Boris Karloff, it was my favourite depiction. I mean, I've seen, like, Kenneth Branagh's Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. That's awful. Yeah. Like, mm. Robert De Niro was the monster. You're just like, really? Really? It's Robert De Niro was your go-to? You know, you're just like... <laughs> a great actor, but... Yeah, and um, I think I tried to watch the one with uh, Daniel Radcliffe, and I just couldn't. Oh, is that... I think I have seen that. that oh, it's is, Daniel is that... Radcliffe as Igor, um, and... Um, James McAvoy. Yeah, it was Victor Frank. Yeah. I, I can't remember it, so that's how good it was. <laughs> uh, it's one of these weird, uh, one of these movies that I really hate that is like um, kind of similar to like Van Helsing or like a remake of Robocop or Total Recall, yeah. shiny and mm. polished and just a bit boring and bland. Uh, it was not worth checking out. Don't waste your time on it. <laughs> yeah. The, the Rory Kinnear one was really good. I liked what mm. they'd done in that where when you first get introduced to Victor Frankenstein, you think he's at his first creation. Yeah. But this is actually his second or well, yeah. well, I think it's the only one we find is his second and it just yeah. gets ripped in half by Rory Kinnear who looks yeah. up and like, hello daddy. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. Um, yeah. And Rory Kinnear's just such a good actor yeah. as well. He's very um, Shakespearean in that mm. the way he talks in it. He's taught himself yeah. how to talk properly and mm, yeah, that was a very good yeah. kind of interpretation of it. Mm. I can't remember if there's one in Van Helsing. There might be. I think there be. is, but like, <laughs> oh, I don't know, like that It'll whole... It'll be a CG mess. Yeah, there was there was a Dr. Hyde, wasn't there? And I think yeah. he'd got, Dracula had got Victor Frankenstein in to try and like incubate his vampire babies or something. It was something <laughs> stupid. Some yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there's Brides of Dracula and things like that. Yeah, terrible CGI. <laughs> Uh, again, don't worry. <laughs> don't check that one out. Um, so moving on to the last movie, it's the sequel really to mm. to this. It kicks off straight after, and it is the Bride of Frankenstein. Mm. 
Again, really enjoyed this. Probably my least favourite out of the three. Um, but okay. I enjoyed how it kind of extended the, the monsters lore and a wee bit more about Frankenstein um, yeah. himself. Like, despite his mistakes in the first movie, he's still quite happy to get back involved in all the <laughs> shit that he, that he caused in the mm. that he caused before. Um, the monster's still alive from the, the kind of collapsed and burning windmill. Um, mm-hmm. What do you think of this one? Um, I quite like it. Um, mm. I'd say it's on par with Frankenstein for me. It is. Okay. It carries on the story, the original uh, story of Frankenstein or the modern Prometheus from Mary Shelley. So this is in the book. The monster comes to the doctor and asks for him to make him a mate, a female mate. Um, so we've got Colin Clive reprising his role as Henry, and we have Ernest Thysiger, who was in... Um, the old dark house. He is now playing the role of Dr. Pretorius. Mm -hmm. Um, The reason I like this is because, as I said, the Hayes code was enforced in 1932. So when Bride came out in 1935, they were very much trying not to piss off the Hayes code enforcers. And it seems that James Whale thought he was going to do his damnedest to make a movie as gay as possible, (laughs) but still get past, uh, the censors. Yeah. So he has these two characters, Dr. Pretorius and Henry Frankenstein and Dr. Pretorius basically on the eve of Frankenstein's wedding goes, come with me to make another life without the use of a female. So it's very like, it's very gay subtext. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of, it symbolizes the death of Henry's uh, heterosexuality. Um, and funny fact in the original cuts or how James Whale wanted to end it is he wanted Henry to kill his fiance and use her heart for the heart of the bride. Okay. And that was to signify, you know, definite homosexuality but the censors were like no we're not going to do that <laughs> <laughs> yes but i can imagine in the 30s they were like just absolutely appalled by that yeah. um do you know i never read that myself personally but again this is first time watching if i go back and watch it again which i definitely will um yeah. it's probably i'll look out for that a lot more um yeah. It was really interesting coming on to the the character of Dr. Pretorius, and this one definitely felt a bit more comedic, if that's right. There's definitely a lot more light-hearted take towards the creation of monsters. None more so than Dr. Pretorius's many people. (laughs) (laughs) He keeps in jars. The little ballet dancer. Yeah, it's very strange. He wants to get out and mate with the queen (laughs) in another jar and he's trying to break through the glass. I thought that was great. Jaylee, I'm bawling laughing at that. It was a fantastic scene. Yeah, I don't think you could have Ernest Lysaga in a film that isn't camply comic. Mm. Um, He really does bring the camp up a notch. Mm -hmm. And it's very much um, 
you know, it, it's very much a Dr. Frankenfurter character. You know, you can definitely see where Dr. Frankenfurter came from. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. It, it, shows, it shows that comedic side, the kind of bit more lightheartedness. Mm. But you also see a lot of character development in the actual monster. He's trying to mm. learn, he's trying to become more socially interactive. Yeah. After he's killed the mum and dad of the daughter from the first movie, though, that's, again... <laughs> I suppose they're kind of... Are they trying to attack him? That was maybe a wee bit less straightforward. I think they were going to make sure to see his mm-hmm. body, weren't they? That's what it yeah. was. And he kills the two of them, which is mm. quite harsh for them. <laughs> for that family. <laughs> that family has had a terrible day. Um, <laughs> but, but he's he saves a woman from drowning. Mm-hmm. Um, he meets a blind man who lives in a shack out in the woods. Um, and this blind man, obviously, without being able to see him, is just happy to have the company of him, mm. which is at odds with the townspeople. And it's mm. showing that it's all about certainly like visual perceptions of the monster. Yeah, this guy's never attacked him, so he is happy to sit, he's happy to drink with him, or and say smoking's good. Which again, I know they barely see anyone smoking in movies anymore. Um, and it's really interesting how that relationship between the two of them kind of develops because again yeah it's totally at odds with the 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 sighted if you want a better word town people yeah um yeah he so you see him basically you know we see him go from this childlike character and now he's kind of becoming a bit of a teenager and uh, (laughs) and he you know he wants he wants camaraderie and Mm. i think it's through this friendship with the okay. man that uh, he's kind of like, you know, I need this for life now. I need, I need to be with someone to to talk and to read and you know, like I I don't think him having a companion was ever like, oh, I want to have sex or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> like I want to fall in love. It was more yeah. about I just need a lifelong friend that you know we're both in this situation together of being put together by a bunch of corpses. So we're going to be in this situation together forever. And I think that was his kind of, you know, when you come into teenager and you're, when you are a teenage outcast, that's all you want. You just want to, you just want friends and companionship mm. who are in the same boat as you to be lonely weirdo freaks together. Mm-hmm. Again, he gets driven out from that as well mm. because townspeople visit the blind man yeah. and see the monster. And so again, it's it's so like dramatically tragic because yeah. everything that happens when he's killing people, it's self defence of mm. first and foremost, and it's also childlike still to an extent. But he's learning; it just doesn't know his own strength as well. Mm. It's just easily can kill someone yeah. without even trying. I think this is when he comes across a uh, Doctor Pretorius, mm-hmm. who brings him basically is explaining to him. And brings him to Doctor Frankenstein, and this yeah. is, he wants a mate. Is a, he wants, doesn't want a mate to mate with, but yeah. he wants a, a friend. Yeah. yeah. Um. It's the bride showing up again with this being called Bride of Frankenstein. Yeah. I thought it was all about her being there from the start. <laughs> She's in. I think it's like two minutes, something After, ridiculous yeah. like that. Um. Yeah. It's. I mean, I guess it's the build up. To having the bride mm-hmm. um uh but yeah she's barely in it for two seconds but even though she's only in it for like two minutes the what's her name elsa lanchester mm-hmm. like 
she really cements her presence on the screen, even in those two minutes. You know, she's she's awoken, she's unwrapped from the bandages or whatever, and she lets out this like hiss <laughs> and scream, and it's just like she's there. You know, mm-hmm. if if it was any other Hollywood film, she'd be coming in with a big feathered robe and you know, like bright spotlight. Like it's she's just so amazing it's not like she doesn't she barely has any like i don't think she has any dialogue and but it's all in her eyes and her twitchy mannerisms and it's just it's just amazing like she's amazing and the way james well directed her to be this creature who is horrified by being alive and horrified by the creature um yeah it's just she only needs to be in it for two minutes to really make an impact Mm-hmm. It's such a striking look as well with the mm. short white hair. The short yeah. white stripes through the hair again, something that's been mimicked and copied, and um, almost like Mad Simpson. Yeah, very like that. And yeah, it's one of the the, the things about her was just the, the when they are um, getting the electricity to shock the body. And one yeah. thing I noticed is he very pointedly says she's alive. Yeah, which is. Potentially now, how Frankenstein views differently the monsters that he's creating because the first one it's it's alive, yeah. this one is she's alive. Yeah, I wonder if that was like an intentional thing that they've done to kind of focus more on the sexual the sexuality of the monsters or the gender of the monsters. Sorry. Yeah, maybe. I mean, yeah, I, I hadn't really thought about it that way, but yeah, it was definitely like you know they weren't going to make him a male companion. Yeah, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, maybe in their heads they were like, okay, we're going to make this mate for our creature. Um, And they were really kind of emphasizing perhaps the romantic or the sexual aspect of it, where Mm -hmm. all that the monster wanted was just a friend. Yeah, yeah, Mm. yeah, that's fair. Um, Comes to a point, and yeah, the the bride is just not happy with life. <laughs> <laughs> Good way to describe it. Not yeah. happy with life, not happy to be a, a friend for the monster. But also, I think the monster realises that if the, she gets out, then there could be more death, there could be more destruction, because yeah. she would have to go through the same learning curve that he goes through, and it shows a bit more sentience, sentience in his growth, the way he's grown since the first movie. Yeah. Um, so... But it ends with him killing him, killing himself again. Potentially, I've not seen any way any of the movies past this. So, um, yeah. killing himself, killing the bride, and killing Doctor Pretorius. Yeah, and again, Henry just gets away with murder again. <laughs> just he really does. Um, he literally gets away with murder. I think the coin, the phrase was coined for him. Yeah. Um. So the once the bride rejects him because he kind of like when he sees the bride, he reaches out to her and he says, "Friend," like mm-hmm. he's this is what he he wants a friend and she rejects him yeah. and i think this is the point he realizes that he's always going to be rejected uh through no fault of his own even someone of the same ilk of him mm. is rejecting him and so i think this is the point that he just thinks oh you know what fuck it like you know <laughs> i'm just gonna <laughs> just gonna kill myself and kill yeah. the bride and kill pretorius um i think the decision to kill pretorius was so there was no more there was going to be no more raising of uh, these corpses. Mm. Um, and it's funny that he tells, even though it was Henry who started all this shit and caused all these problems, he tells Henry and his, well, now wife, um, Elizabeth, you know, to go to save themselves. 
and he says to Pretorius and the bride, you stay, we belong dead. Um, it's really sad because again, like you said, Henry got off scot-free and he was kind of the instigator of all of this. <laughs> yeah. Everything that has happened has yeah. been due to his uh, hubris, basically. Yeah. It's, al- it's always the ones at the top that get away with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm feeling that just now. I'm about two, weeks, two weeks away from my strike and work, so mm. I, it's always those fuckers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what my place of work is. Casually get away with that. Yeah. Uh, well, I meant to mention, actually, do you know why there was a change in actress? Because I'm sure his wife has played the two different actresses in between Frankenstein and Bride. Um, it was because May Clark, who played the original, so May Clark got very ill and very sick. Okay. So Valerie Hobson replaced her. Okay. Yeah. Um, this was... Well, was this before he even started filming, or is yes. it? Yes. Yes. Right. Okay. Okay. I, I, I meant to mention that at the start. I totally forgot about that. But yeah, again, a great film. As I said, it was it's my least favorite out of the three, but that's just because yeah. I enjoyed the other two so yeah. much, and this was still a, a great watch. Um, I liked the most kind of light touch to it with the, the Doctor Pretorius, the kind of campy, yeah. comedic element of it, than more yeah. than the, the serious. Oh fuck! What have we done with Frankenstein? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Um, I, I definitely appreciated that. Um, do is there more after this of Frankenstein stories that with Carloff and James Whale? Um, not with James Whale. Okay. There was, however, um, I think there was. Frankenstein meets Dracula, (laughs) son of Frankenstein. Um, I think he was in Abbott and Costello meets Frankenstein. I don't know. There was a a lot of very silly ones, Hmm. Um, but none that Whale directed as far Hmm. as I know. I think he was kind of done after Bride. He was like, look, you know. (laughs) All the story he wanted to sort of thing. Yeah. Um, It was kind of said that, the Bride of Frankenstein kind of because of its gay subtext um, and because he kind of, he didn't, like he he refused to like be a closeted gay gentleman. And so mm-hmm. after the, the Bride of Frankenstein, his career really went downhill, um, unfortunately. Um, he, he never really came back. He only made one other successful film which is the man in the iron mask in 1939 and then he retired in 1941 that's uh not unexpected uh, with the way the yeah the, the business would have been back then that's exactly. um, that's a shame especially when he's made these three especially these yeah. three masterpieces yeah um it's something that i'm definitely going to check out a lot more classic hollywood mm-hmm. um it was just I was just astounded by the sets. I think yeah. more so than anything, the sets are fantastic, incredible the amount of work that must have been into them, and labour yeah. put into them. And you just don't see it now. It's green screen, and green screen is fine. I'm I'm not a anti CGI anti green screen person, but seeing that solid material makes something yeah. feel a wee bit more. Feel yeah, and definitely made um like the old dark house feel a bit spookier. Mm, definitely, yeah, yeah. It yeah. wasn't like. The Haunting or some yeah. awful remake of that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so talking about classic Hollywood, and maybe it's kind of similar to why what the question I'm going to ask you now is the reason I've maybe just given. What do you think of classic Hollywood staying power? Why is it so still so popular now as it was back then? Like, There's still such an interest in it. There's... 
influences in it that are still drawn from these classic movies, your Frankensteins, your Draculas, everything really. I think just because these monsters, they were really the first, the very first pop horror pop culture icons. Mm-hmm. And they have seeped into everyday culture. I mean, you know, you've got the Count on Sesame Street. You've <laughs> got, you know, Frankenstein and the cat and Dracula being serials and their images everywhere. Um, everyone knows what Frankenstein's monster and Dracula look like. And uh, everyone knows what the bride looks like. And it's just mm-hmm. seeped into our everyday, the everyday zeitgeist and, People want to know where it came from. You know, mm-hmm. people are like, where, where is this character on Sesame Street the Count from? Where did they get this character from? And I think the reason, and not only that, but because you so can clearly see the influence in modern day horror, um, you know, if you just look at uh, Guillermo del Toro's work, you know he's heavily influenced by universal classics. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at Tim Burton's work, you know he's heavily influenced by classic horror and his use of shadows and weird set pieces. And, you know, that's all very pre-1960s horror. Um, yeah. And I think as long as there are directors doing films that are heavily influenced by Universal, by classic horror, there's always going to be interest in them. And I think, you know, as well with horror fans, because we are such this, it's almost like a folkloric tradition, you know, we hand it down through our generations. Mm -hmm. um, There's always going to be interest in it. I mean, my son sat and watched Dracula and Frankenstein with me and he's four. And because (laughs) it's not outwardly scary, he can just watch it and be like, that's a monster, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And there's even cartoons where they've got like, I think they're called super monsters. And it's like, uh, all the monsters are in like a crash and there's Drac and there's Frankie and there's um, like a werewolf, you know, Yeah. as long as they're being handed down through generations in this tradition way, people are always going to be interested in them. Mm-hmm. Hotel Transylvania as well. Yeah, so exactly. Yeah. And me and you will be schooled on these. Yeah. <laughs> two kids, two kids the same age. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's, a perfect reason for it and I think as well like I'm going to be heading to the States to go mm. to Orlando in a few weeks and Universal are still very much willing to yeah. promote them and willing to, like yeah. there's um, the uh, Halloween Horror Nights mm. has a classic monsters house this yeah. year which is I think it's Dracula werewolf and the mummy so obviously there's yeah. no mon- the Frankenstein's monster but they, they have shows yeah. as well that still keep these things mm. in the public public eye and public interest yeah. and you're always going to have that the kids going to Universal Studios and saying oh who's that that's yeah. the Bride of Frankenstein you can get a photo yeah. taken with her and it's maybe yeah. a wee bit different from that way but it definitely keeps keeps that interest it's great yeah um, and I mean it's kind of like as well like you know when you get into bands and mm. then an older friend or a relative goes hey if you like Green Day you might like you know um the clash or the sex business, you know, there's always that like, well, if you like this and you like this and it's the same with these films, it's like, we could say, Oh, if you like the film may, then you're going to love Frankenstein because that's where may came from. And, you know, it's just this, it's just this tradition of like us elder horror fans being like, well, Hey, if you like this new film, then you're going to love this one from the 1930s or, you know, so it's just that, as I said, it's weird folkloric tradition Mm -hmm. with horror heads. 
I think we're uh, quite lucky in terms of we're in a, an era of horror filmmakers that are quite happy to wear their influences on their sleeve. Mm, yeah. Like we had Malignant and it was kind of, mm. I love Malignant, I think yeah. it's fantastic, which was massively Jallo inspired yeah. because James, uh, James Wan's a huge Jallo, Jallo yeah. head. You've got Mike Flanagan right into the gothic style of fairy, uh, fairy tale, a ghost story telling. Yeah. Uh, and then also, but he's brought a, a kind of new twist on the vampire tale as well, yeah. but still with those rooted elements that yeah. have been there for centuries nearly. Yeah. Um, and having this group of horror filmmakers at the minute, I think we're incredibly lucky. Yeah. Jordan Peele is making, I've not lucky enough to see Nope yet, unfortunately. But I loved Us and I loved Get Out. And he's modernised certain mm. styles of horror filmmaking. But yeah. you know exactly what he loves and yeah. because they're happy. To, there's no, no, this is this is an original idea. Yes, it's an original yeah. idea, but they want to tell you yeah. about these movies that got them to where they are. Exactly, yeah. Mm. Brilliant. So I was going to ask about more James Whale, but yeah. apart from, as you said, he done Man in the Iron Mask after this, after Bride of Frankenstein. Was there much from him before then that, that you know of that you watch that you love? Um, he did the he did do the Invisible Man, which is hmm. another um, kind of classic Universal monster yeah. film. Um, so he did do that. So he was kind of, I mean, he was pretty much single handedly like perhaps one of the biggest Universal directors i mean he really cemented a lot of these classic horror monsters which we know today apart from dracula um mm. but yeah he kind of he did a few things that were like i think he did a western um he did i think it was called the road black um i, I don't know i think it was a western i'm not really <laughs> i'm not really into anything that isn't horror i know it sounds really bad yeah. um but he didn't really do a wild lot he in the first world war he served and it was here that he decided he wanted to he was captured by the germans and while he was a prisoner of war he decided that he wanted to do theater and drama so he really came from this theater background and that was his kind of his body of work before mm -hmm. getting into these kind of horror films so he doesn't really have a massive back catalog again probably because he refused to be um to protect, you know, he refused to be in the closet, so yeah. he was kind of blacklisted, especially during the Hays Code era. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, yeah, I'll definitely check out the Invisible Man then because I love the Blumhouse remake, recent mm -hmm. one. Um, Hollow Man is shit, but it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, yeah, I'll definitely check that out. Then I didn't realize he was the the kind of creator of that as well, or the, the director for that. Yeah. Um, I want to talk a wee bit of, as well about a man who I've kept saying his name. <laughs> Not Bella Lugosi. <laughs> yeah, it's Bella Lugosi, so exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, just because he is kind of, anytime I listen to podcasts like um, that are discussing classic horror, it seems to be Carl Love and Lugosi. Uh -huh. the two ones that get mentioned in terms of the actors yeah. and Lugosi's obviously famous for Dracula primarily yeah. um, is are his movies something that you go to as well like the old Draculas are they still are they as influential for you as like the whale and Carl Law Frankenstein's and um, yeah very much the um, the 19 1930 1931 um, Dracula with Bela Lugosi is 
is again one of my favorites um it's again i always do like a triple bill of dracula frankenstein bride of frankenstein at halloween um i just i just love bela lugosi and um i I have this weird imagined beef with christopher lee because christopher (laughs) lee bad mouth bela lugosi um yeah he said he was a better dracula and i was like lies (laughs) <laughs> absolute lies it's just evil isn't it <laughs> it is it is mm. even though there probably wouldn't have been a christopher lee dracula if there wasn't a bela lugosi one um mm-hmm. but bela lugosi i mean he made that dracula character he he took it from the stage because he was part of the stage show first the mm. the theatrical production and then he was cast um in the the film adaptation eventually and he made it what it was, you know, he is from Hungary. So he has that kind of uh, Eastern European lilt. He has that kind of aristocratic gentleman vibe. And, you know, he was, I mean, he was buried with his cape. So he was basically Dracula. And that is really, you know, in the film, you're like, if someone told me that wasn't Dracula, I'd be, you know, surprised mm. because he is like, I'd be surprised if he wasn't a vampire. <clears throat> <Yeah>. <laughs> I would have been burying him a garlic, personally. And he's just, he, he brings like, he brings suave and sex appeal to the role, even though, mm. you know, the original picture of Dracula was meant to be a walking corpse, but he's yeah. like this sexy aristocratic count that, uh, and there's a line in it that always makes me laugh where he's like, oh, I think Jonathan says to him, are you not going to join me in a glass of wine? And he goes, oh, I don't drink wine and it's just the way he says it it's just it's fantastic it's absolutely fantastic what's the thoughts on the coppola one <sighs> see everyone's like oh, i love it i love it i don't I, so. <laughs> I, I love the costume design i love the set um i love basically everything apart from everyone that's in it um yeah. apart, apart from sadie frost i really enjoy sadie frost is it sadie frost um, as Lucy, I find her quite vivacious and, and lovely. But everyone else, I'm like, no. It's before Keanu Reeves kind of found his niche, isn't it? <laughs> oh, Keanu. Like, I like Keanu Reeves now. <laughs> Me too. And I think, you know, he's, you know, you know, he can play Neo because Neo has no emotions. You know, he can play, I always forget if he's Bill or Ted. He's Ted. <laughs> Ted. Yeah. Because he can just act like a stoner. Yeah. And now he does John Wick because it's kind of like yeah. Neo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Before he kind of found his niche, he was never going to yeah. be a dramatic actor. He's, he's um, not a British gentleman. He's really no, not. Like, no, no. He's just silly. And I don't, I'm not a fan of Gary Oldman at all. Um, really? And I don't, I don't find him, I don't find him as something about him. He's got no personality as Dracula. You know, he hasn't mm. got that kind of sex appeal to him, he hasn't got that kind of danger to him. Um, apart from the rumours that he's like a wife beater. Um, <laughs> there's a bit of danger there, but, you know, not yeah. the danger we want. Um, no. But, yeah, I just I think he's quite bland. I thought the cast, apart from, as I said, uh, Sadie Frost. I really hope mm. that's her name. I actually met her last year, and I'm like, I can't remember her <laughs> name. Um, yes, I think she was the only one that I really enjoyed in that film. Um, but, no, I think it's a bit pants. <laughs> no. Dracula's another one that I'm like, oh, I can't think of a good adaptation of it since the 30s. Yeah, like, it's really strange how we, we've we barely seen Frankenstein monster, Frankenstein movies, like, we, we, we had yeah. the De Niro one in the 90s, we've had the ones in the 30s, and we've had mm. kind of comedic adaptations, the monsters, mm. for example. Yeah. We're getting another one of them, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> which... But Dracula's always been the one. Is I think it's because I think actors are maybe just a bit more interested in playing him. 
because yeah. you can be you can play it either like a like a uh, a royal gentleman or you can be yeah. flamboyant and exactly, over the yeah. top during the performance yeah. and yeah. It's, it's more available for adaptation whereas mm. i think nowadays a frankenstein's monster would potentially be played by a stunt guy <laughs> um, the, that's yeah. the way it would be because they wouldn't yeah. see actors wouldn't see yeah the value in it or at the very most it would be like a incredible hulk style where it's a, a warped yeah. version of a cgi face i would like i i wouldn't mind seeing um doug jones as frankenstein he does these kind of character mm-hmm. Uh, works really well and I'd love I mean I know he's got completely the wrong frame for it you know he's very (laughs) slight and slender of a man but I think he I think him teamed up with Guillermo del Toro again Mm. I could really I could kind of see something there yeah Yeah. Yeah. Ron Perlman again he got Amazon (laughs) yeah actually he looks a lot like a yeah looks like him already might be a bit too old but you know Or if you just want to go down the Hellboy route, David yeah. Harbour. <laughs> yeah, you can I guess. Do something yeah. like that, yeah, definitely. Doug Jones yeah. can play Frankenstein. Yeah, yeah. He could be spindly, but I don't think he's uncomfortable unless he's just caked and prosthetic. Yeah, that's so. true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah but I, 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 I would. I, I think what Bloomhouse are doing, I'm really into. Like, I, I, I think Bloomhouse put out so much, he can be hit or miss, but yeah. <clears throat> what they've done with the Invisible Man was great. They've got the Wolfman coming out soon, I think, with mm-hmm. Ryan Gosling. Which is a strange choice, yeah, but I like, like Ryan Gosling. So he seems to be, yeah, like diving into the Barbie movie and <laughs> just a natural progression as Wolfman. Um, of course, of course, then, from Ken to Wolfman. Yeah. <laughs> like nobody here to just complete body hair. Um, it's I, I, I would like them to be able to keep these universal ties going and yeah. making those types of movies make what we would get the halloween trilogy ending this year move on to something yeah. like that make yeah. a frankenstein yeah. movie, make a make a, uh, make a dracula make yeah. something like that because the bbc's interpretation was fucking awful that as well i really enjoyed the first part of it and then i just yeah. think it went off hill uh, like off off the rails i was just like ah come on like you know. torchwood or doctor who <laughs> Yeah, it genuinely yeah, yeah. was what it was. Yeah. Like the um, Cla- Cla- Clash Bang, Clash Bang, I don't know how you say his name. They played him. <laughs> yeah. He's a really strange yeah. uh, first name. Um, and he was great in that first episode, mm. especially. But yeah, yeah. it's just then it yeah, turned into Doctor Who. I think it was yeah. written by the Doctor Who writers. So yeah, it was. A, um, um, oh, what's his fate? Mark Gattis. Aye. And was Russell T. Davis involved, or am I just making that up? Um, yeah. I make a lot of things up. So. <laughs> I, don't, I don't fact check, so you're right. Uh, Mark Gattis and Stephen Moffat. Aye. So yeah. it's the other guy. <laughs> so it's those, that, those kind of go-to BBC guys. Yes. And yes. yeah, they've done a good job with the first one. The second one was not on the boat, wasn't it? That was, eh. And then suddenly, yeah. well, Doctor Who. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah... It, Interesting. As I said, I'm going to go back and check all these out just because I was just infatuated by them yeah. from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they're 70 minutes is ideal for me. So. I know. It's great. That's, why, that's another reason why I love classic <laughs> movies. It's like, mm. it's about an hour long and you're like, great. <laughs> like, yep. you know, it's not going to take up all my day. Mm. And it's great because like you don't get to the end of it and you're like, oh, I regret that. <laughs> you're right. like, Cause it's just an hour long. It's like a, it's like a TV show, like right. length of a TV episode. So. Yeah. And I was like, I was going by, I was um, football with my dad at the weekend and was sitting talking about how the first part of the recording, which yeah. due to the powers of editing won't be known, um, <laughs> that 
we were talking about these movies and he was going on about how he was brought up from them. He was yeah. born in the 60s and he, so as soon as I mentioned Frankenstein, he went, oh, Karloff, Boris yeah. Karloff, and mentioned then he went on to talking about Lugosi and yeah. um, he also mentioned the guy who plays the Sir Will, is it Sir William in The Old Dark House? He went on to play someone and he, he, he mentioned but rhymed off loads of movies that this guy was in. Yeah. And it's just, again, going back to just the, the staying power of them, it's incredible. Yeah, exactly, but yeah. It's... it's yeah, it's excellent. Like, I really can't yeah. wait to watch it. And I'm going to go to this Halloween Horror Nights in September and get chased oh, by Dracula. Jealous. I don't know. That it's and The Grabber. Amazing. The Grabber and Freaky. And The Weekend, randomly, is in it. He's okay. got a house. Uh, the Weekend. I don't weird. know why. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I always run away for his music anyway, so that kind of fits. Yeah. Just kind of Eddie Munson <laughs> attacking me some Metallica. <laughs> <laughs> um, so thank you very much for joining me tonight for this episode it's been great again one of the things that I've loved about doing these episodes is I've had such different directors like I've had Far Eastern directors and then I've had like Mm. Talking This Yourself with classic Hollywood I've I've seen so many movies that I would not that I don't have an interest in but I just would never go I'll just stick that on so many times I'll just rewatch Parts and Rec like and I'm loving doing this because it's kind of broadening my horizons so yeah. much. And I've absolutely loved talking about these with yeah. you. Um, loved watching the movies. So thank you very yeah. much for. Oh, no, thank you. Um, I just want to say, like, I'm still going to hold it against Tim Coleman for stealing my favorite director. So I had to go. My, yeah, so I had to go for my second favorite director, which is fine. Yeah. I love James Whale, but yeah, I'm still going to hold it against Tim. That's <laughs> fine. Well. You can come back on once we've had a, a, a few more episodes down the line and you can do your part, Chadwick. You can tell me why his opinions were wrong. And then we can have like, yeah, like season finale, yeah. the face-off of the two of you discussing part, Chadwick. Who's the bigger part, Chadwick fan? <laughs> Film critic deathmatch. Oh, yeah. Oh, if only I was good at claymation. Oh, we could do that. Um, so... Where can everyone find your work, your writing, your podcasts, etc.? Uh, you can find my podcast, What a Scream, uh, on anywhere you listen to podcasts, Spotify, Apple, Google, Anchor, etc., etc. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at what underscore scream, which is where you can kind of keep up with the podcast. But mainly it's me trying to plug my writing and occasionally saying things. <laughs> no, I'm not good. I'm not good on Twitter. <laughs> I, I'm terrible. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I listened. I was listening to your apocalypse episode the other uh-huh. day, I think, and my end of days got mentioned, and it didn't seem like you were too happy about having to watch end of days. Which... I I don't have a positive thing to say about any <laughs> art apart from Predator is the only Arnold Schwarzenegger film that I really like. Other than that, I'm like me. <laughs> Terminator Two is the greatest movie that's ever been made, and I wouldn't hear a word against it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so again yep yeah, thanks very much for joining me and the last thing that I ask all the guests to do is play us out with a song from a movie or a piece of music or a bit of a score from something yes. um, it took me zero seconds to think about what I was going to choose and it is uh, Cry Little Sister by uh, from the Lost Boys soundtrack by Jared McCann I think his name is um, it's my favourite like anytime I hear that song I just get goosebumps. Mm. 
it is a cracker. I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, so again, again, thank you very much. And this is Gerard McCann with Cry Little Sister. Like a drum 